With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, and welcome back in again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott. I'm joined today by Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Justin, it's uh, portal season. It's uh, signing day season. It's recruiting season. It's uh, a lot going on now in the roster management side of the side of the world. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the quote-unquote silly season, right? I mean, yeah, like you said, you've got coaches moving around. Obviously, the transfer portal, I don't know, last I looked, said something about 4,000-plus names, you know, going in since Monday. That's that's just remarkable, also dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on Oregon's side, the Ducks, I think, have had five or six players enter the portal now. Uh, several at wide receiver, Ashton Cozart, um, Chris Hudson, and um, who's the third one? I lost you. There you go. Am I back? There you're, you're back. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. So I'm just going to have to make sure I keep the window open. Got it. <laughs> you keep, you uh, Did you hear what I was saying? Yes, I, I could hear everything you were saying. Yeah, you just okay. couldn't hear me. Yeah. And, uh, what, five or six guys enter the portal now? I, I don't think anyone that was probably unexpected or or uh, was expected to be a, contrib- a major contributor going forward. Uh, Ashton Cozart, Chris Hudson, Brian Addison. Um, who else am I missing there? Uh, Delgado. Yeah, uh, Josh Delgado. Yep. thought there was one more, maybe. Uh, try Triquez Bridges, probably. Yep, that's yep. it. Thank you very much. So, you know, Triquez obviously was a guy who started a lot of games in 21 and 22, was a, a backup this year, kind of playing fourth, fifth corner reps. So not surprising at all to see him transfer. He's got one more year of eligibility left. Same thing with Brian Addison, who, you know, left the team midseason for personal reasons and now is in the portal. And then obviously the receivers, one of them, Ashton Cozart, was a class of 23 uh, the other two, Delgado and Hudson, have been here a long time, clearly aren't in the rotation. So, you know, they're looking to move on and get some playing time somewhere else. So, you know, no real surprises or or uh, anything there. Do you see, do you see, I mean, you know, there was a lot of angst last year, if we go back to, to this time last year and how many Ducks entered the portal. There was a lot of fans on Twitter and elsewhere, you know, Scoop Duck, that freaking out about how many, Ducks were in the portal, and as we saw over the course of the year, as I know, like Jared Denny on your site and others um, kind of talk, you know, every week would report on, oh, here's what former Ducks did at their new new schools, and and by and large, it was largely nothing um, outside of, you know, I think Madavau had had a moderately moderately successful season at UCLA. I think um, Cam McCormick had, you know, had a similar kind of season at at Miami. Neither one like you know, all conference level or broke out or anything. But beyond those two, there was really, I don't think any former duck that transferred out last year did anything of note at his new school. Do you see, 
anything I, I expect there'll be similar angst this year because duck friends like to freak out uh, i certainly <laughs> think there'll be less poor less guys that hit the portal from oregon than last year i think it was 35 last year It'd probably be a much smaller number this year do you anticipate any difference makers leaving oregon I mean, it's certainly possible, you know, you don't want to, you know, kind of never say never, but I'd, I'd have a, I have a really tough time seeing that. I mean, just with, you know, the relationships that coach Laning has built, you know, obviously nothing's more important than your record alone. And he's proving that, you know, with the play on the field. And, you know, I think they've got a pretty good finger on the pulse. I know that, you know, you and I have tried to talk about this at, at various times, but, you know, Oregon from a, from a team standpoint, NIL wise is set up really well. One of the best in the country. And, you know, that makes a big difference. That's why you're seeing a lot of these other high profile guys leave other schools is because they're not as well funded, you know, through NIL in relationship to a team. Of course, there's NIL relating to recruiting, which is a totally different, you know, department. So, you know, because of those things, Oregon so far hasn't lost anyone they were expecting and I'd be, I would be absolutely floored if, if, if more than one or two at most left that maybe Oregon wasn't counting on. Yeah, I'm kind of of the same mind. I think we'll, there'll probably be another, I don't know, maybe up to ten more guys that hit the portal still, but I, I don't expect any of them to be, you know, real significant difference makers there. Uh, let's move over to the other side of of the of the portal and and guys that the Ducks might be looking to bring in or, or at least positions that the guys that the ducks might be looking to bring in. And, and obviously we're going to start at quarterback. Uh, you put in a prediction today you know, for Dylan Gabriel to be a duck. I think he's coming to visit what tomorrow, this weekend, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's taking an official visit this weekend. I think it starts tomorrow. And uh, yeah, so, so, you know, I, yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, you know, I put in my prediction, um, you know, that's some something that I've kind of alluded to, you know, even before he entered the portal, uh, if you will, just slightly, you know, I think the Ducks have, have had built a strong relationship there, you know, in, as we've seen in the transfer portal, at least through the last year or so. If you're not ultimately that first or maybe second visit, you're probably not in the game, you know, and so I think we've we've found out that that's really important. You know, we've also found out that, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys don't always even need to take visits. You know, sometimes they, they just kind of know where they want to go and, and aren't as concerned with what's on campus or, or the nearest hamburger joint, you know, mm-hmm. to campus. So yeah, looking for different things. So yeah, I mean, in terms of, of Dylan Gabriel, I think that this one probably, if I had to make a bet right now probably gets wrapped up in the next, at least by the end of the weekend. And I doubt very seriously, he takes any other visits. So assuming that happens, there's also been some smoke around Dante Moore um, potentially going to a team like an Oregon or a Michigan or, or some other teams that were maybe he wouldn't be the starter day one, but, but, you know, he's saying that he wants to get developed and wants to get, uh, you know, kind of get that experience and, and maybe, you know, ultimately looking longer term. Is that, you know, with, with Dylan Gabriel comes in, what do you put the odds? That, and I know there's stiff competition there. What do you put the odds that like someone like a Dante Moore could even come in as a second transfer quarterback? Yeah, I think, you know, what we're, the way we'll get some clarity there, I think in the next little bit is, is the fact that, you know, basically these coaches got done with the Pac-12 championship game and we're already a couple of days behind being able to hit the road recruiting. You know, so you've got Dan Lanning and his staff that basically 
you know, lands in Eugene and <laughs> grabs a bag and turns around and hops on planes and, and heads out all over the country. My point to that is, and, and the way I, reason I bring it up is because you know, they'll, they'll start coming back on Thursday. And the plan is to spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Eugene hosting recruits and also meeting with position groups. And so, you know, I think that you start to look at, okay, maybe we're, you know, if we're Oregon, we're the coaches, we're feeling pretty good about Dylan Gabriel. I think you need to go have a, a real conversation with Ty Thompson, what that means for his future, what, you know, maybe his plans are. I think he could stick around and I could see him entering the portal. I think you can make an argument both ways. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but you know, like I've said already, this is Dan Lanning's job. He's, he's got to win. He has to win and, and he's going to, he's going to do whatever it takes to do that. Um, and so the reason I, I, I would lay all that foundation down in relationship to Dante Moore is <clears throat> I think it would be really difficult to bring in Dante Moore if Ty Thompson stays. And I don't know that Oregon's necessarily pushing him out the door. But, you know, if Ty Thompson, they do sit down and have those conversations Thursday, Friday, Saturday with him and the other guys in the room. And Ty Thompson says, hey, you know what? I've put in my time here and I think it's just best for me to get a change of scenery. I'm going to move on. I think that really opens the door for Oregon to maybe, you know, really pursue Dante Moore in a more serious fashion. And I do think that if Oregon is able to and does do that, I think they've got really good odds of landing him and bringing him in because I think that's the sensible thing for Dante Moore's to look for that spot that he can, you know, sit for a year and maybe get the development he feels like he missed at UCLA and and, and maybe be the guy that, you know, if it's Dylan Gabriel or or if he goes to Michigan, if, if he can be the guy that, you know, comes up in the next year. Um, so I think those are just kind of the things that we're looking for. I mean, everything, everything's dominoes, right? We all know that there's dominoes and recruiting, you know, and, and, and the transfers and the effects there. And I think that that's the way that plays out at quarterback. All right. Let me run through these other position groups kind of one by one. And I'll kind of tell you like my initial read on what I think, and I'm strictly talking transfer portal now, what I think Oregon should or, or should or will do. And you tell me where I'm wrong and, or, or maybe add some depth there. I think running back, it feels like there's no need to add a transfer there. We got Jordan James coming back, Noah possibly coming back, Dante, Jaden Lamar, Riggs coming in. Do you agree with that? Totally agree with that. I think, you know, I believe that Oregon maybe kicked the tires a little bit on Rayleigh Brown because he went to modern day, five-star speedster, obviously, uh, you know, transferring out of USC. But I think at the end of the day, you know, if you're Oregon, if you're Dan Lanning, you're looking at the numbers, I think it's really hard to justify adding another body to the running back room as it sits. Yeah, tight end, I kind of mostly think the same thing. Again, depends on what Terrence Ferguson does. Seems like he might be a guy who's on the fence about going pro or coming back. Uh, you still have Patrick Herbert with one more year. Casey Kelly, potentially. Kenyon Sadiq, obviously, was a true freshman this year. Um, and then they got a couple of freshmen coming in. It, it feels like a position where I wouldn't necessarily get a guy out of the portal, but if Ferguson leaves, maybe, and there's a high-level guy available, maybe you, you get him. It doesn't feel like taking a body is, is necessarily the way to go, though. I think I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I think you kind of, you know, like we talked or I talked about a minute ago with Domino's. I think you're kind of waiting to see a final decision from Terrence Ferguson. And again, you know, this staff comes back to town. As you can see, I mean, as we can see, the transfer portal that that has, has left Oregon is predominantly wide receiver. So they had a quick meeting with that group. Uh, prior to hitting the road, and that's pretty much the only group. So they come back and, and probably sit down with the tight ends with with Ferguson and, and Kelly and Herbert and everybody make sure what they've got numbers-wise. And like you said, unless 
any of those three leave or more than you know one of them leaves you, you probably just don't have room to go get a tight end and, and if you do like you said it's going to be a it's going to be a day one dude for sure yeah moving over to wide receiver this seems like a position where there probably will be some some portal additions and maybe potentially multiple ones i mean assume troy goes goes pro that leaves you with six people in the room i'd say one of those is probably another guy who's a probably never going to see the field in any meaningful way for Oregon. And then we don't know what Holden's going to do or Gary, Gary Bryan or Tez Johnson. Right. So it feels like even with the incoming, you know, you got Jerry and Dickey who you hope is ready to step into a, a much more bigger major role next year. But even with that said, you still need depth in that room and, and uh, guys that are above the line, as Dan says, um, and, and then obviously you got Anderson and Gresham and, um, and wrestler coming in as freshmen, but you probably need, I don't know what, maybe two transfers with that receiver. Yeah, I do think that you need to, I, I think that that's the number. Um, not only do you need guys that can step in and play right away, you know, you need the depth too. I mean, they're, you know, Oregon, you know, running three wide receivers out there pretty consistently, sometimes four, you know, you need those, those bodies, you need that depth. So yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, you could see possibly another transfer out of the program from that room, but I think it's fair to say you could see at least two and potentially three, depending on how things go coming in. Yeah. Moving over to the offensive line, you know, there's a couple of question marks here. JPJ, I'm going to presume goes pro not all, you know, I mean, he could come back depending on what he hears from the draft guys. A Johnny is another one. I think I probably lean more toward him coming back, but again, he'll have a, a decision there as well. I mean, assuming you bring back a Johnny, you've got him and Connerly as returning tackles, and then you've got guys like uh, Silva and Janoris Wilson and the older, um, the older Lalalulu uh, brother, you know, at tackles. So it seems like you're outside of a prep tackles, which are you bringing in, it seems like there probably wouldn't be in the market for a transfer tackle, but maybe with the interior again, with Jackson, maybe going pro Joe Jones is out of eligibility. So you're bringing back Harper and, um, and the younger uh, Poncho, well, Lulu, Lalo, Lalo Lulu, uh, I'll get that right. So, and maybe a Struther <laughs> coming back, but maybe a guard, maybe a guard or is what they might be looking at there. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see some interior help. Um, you know, like you said, that, that one seems to have a lot more moving parts. Obviously it's a bigger position group. Um, you know, currently it doesn't, uh, it doesn't appear that Oregon is pursuing or has targeted any offensive linemen in the transfer portal. But, you know, like, like we said, the dominoes haven't fell yet from that group. So I, I think you sit down. Um, I, I would, I would tend to believe that JPJ does go to the NFL. That seems very, very likely to happen. Um, you know, and once that kind of happens, maybe you need to, you know, see if you've got a center on the team or not and 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 then you know act accordingly as well yeah moving over to the other side of the ball d-line is an interesting position it was so bifurcated this year with you had like all these fifth sixth and seventh year players that were you know kind of forming the bulk of your rotation and then you had just a ton of young guys that they brought in you know particularly last cycle and a couple of the cycle before um, who are all returning the only the only older guys that are, have eligibility still are jordan birch which again seems more likely to be an NFL entry, but could potentially come back. And then Keon Warehudson, uh, who would be have one more year of eligibility left there as well. And and then you just got all the young guys. You got three years of eligibility left with Amari Washington and Ben Roberts. And then you got all the freshmen, Bowens, Green, Porter, 
uh, Gardner, Tavita Pame, uh, and then obviously your your current fre incoming freshman class as well. To me, Hop, it feels like if you can bring in, like, I mean, obviously you're not going to pass up on a Walter Nolan, right, or a David Hicks, or like a true, this guy's a clear starter, a clear difference maker, a clear NFL dude on the interior defensive line. Yeah, obviously you bring them in, but if you're going to bring in, like, more unknowns or more developments or more projects like maybe you're better off just going with the guys that you already brought in over the last two classes yeah yeah i agree i you know i don't think there's any way that oregon is looking for you know edges or defensive tackles in the transfer portal that again aren't going to come in and immediately compete to start you know the name you mentioned walter nolan isn't obvious i mean i don't i don't care how many defensive linemen you have you <laughs> you still go recruit that young man and 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 make that room better so yeah i, I mean i could see I think if, you know, if we had Dan Lanning here on the show and he was being pretty candid, you know, I think Oregon's pretty full at the edge position and I don't see, you know, a need there. I mean, you could always bring him in, but again, you're, you're kind of bumping that 85 limit pretty hard. So I think it's going to be hard to justify, but, you know, interior defensive linemen, um, I, I think you could justify a need there. And I do think you'll see Oregon bring, you know, one to two uh you know, one to two guys that more than likely come in and are expected to play right away. Yeah. Again, if they're difference makers, I, I think we're like, I, I think where I see the bigger difference from last year's portal class to this year's is there was, there was holes. There was a lot more holes that needed to be filled last off cycle. And, and I think the staff, there was just, they needed depth at certain positions and they just needed guys that were playable at certain positions I think now what I see this year is like the level, the caliber of player that the staff should be bringing in at most of these positions this year is like a much higher level, right? Like if you're just going to bring in like an average starter, well, you might have that already on your roster, right? Like you might as well play the the blue chip guy you brought in out of high school instead of some average guy you, out of the portal, right? It's six and one half does the other. So it feels like, at positions like defensive line and edge, like if they're true difference makers that are proven, sure. But if it's like, no, no offense to Taki Taimani or Casey Rogers, right? Like, you know, like, is it worth bringing in those caliber of players just because they have four years of experience or you're better off like letting Terrence Green and Amari Washington and Johnny Bowens and those guys get those reps? Yeah, no, I mean, to your point, I, th I and that's a great point. I, the the transfer portal this year for, you know, Dan Lanning is going to be, you know, pretty much focused around difference makers and not depth. And I think to your point, you know, you look at maybe, and, and no disrespect, but a Casey Kelly last year probably doesn't get looked at this year. They needed that, you know, reliable depth in the tight end room. Uh, you know, Case Kelly did a good job, but I don't, you know, this year they're not going to be going for guys like him or necessarily a Nico Reed, you know, did an admirable job when he played. But again, yeah. you know, you're, you're not bringing in those guys this year. You're bringing in, hey, you're going to more than likely be a starter and a, a could, you know, uh, a difference maker for us. And that's going to be it's, it's going to be quality, not quantity, I guess, is the way to put it. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Linebacker, I, I kind of see the same way. Uh, you know, again, is Jason Jacobs going to return? I hope so. Like another year, you know, with him would be really well. Feels like, again, if you can bring in a starter caliber player at linebacker, you probably do it while you kind of hope to, you know, give the three freshmen time to, you know, maybe one or two of them can earn backup minutes. But 
you really want to maybe a more reliable starter for this year at linebacker. Yeah, it's that, that that's probably the one position that I would argue is the toughest to to judge right now. Just because like you said, I, I think we both and I'm sure Dan Lanning could justify a need or a want, if you will, <laughs> uh, you know, to bring in another linebacker. But, you know, should Jacobs return, you know, should Bassa return? And given, you know, the the fact that they're really pushing that eighty five limit so so tightly right now you know that's one that just could go either way you know and I, and I think that again some dominoes will start will start falling and maybe we'll see a little clearer picture on on that position group you know through the weekend but I, I would say no today but I could also you know totally understand the argument to bring one in yeah I think the challenge we look at across the roster you keep mentioning the 85 limit but it's also like the death chart too right because you know, you have to factor, and this is the, the tough job the staff has, right? You have to factor like, okay, we bring this guy in and now that pushes our, like, you know, our blue chip player that we got in the 2023 cycle, who was a freshman this year, that keeps them on the bench for another whole year. Are they going to stay around, you know, for another whole year? Or are they going to look to hit the portal, right? It's like that balancing act you have to, to do, you know, to figure out, um, right? Like it's, it's, you know, if you're bringing in a, a stud who's going to start and, and be that level, then, OK, you you, you do that and the, let the chips fall where they may. But if you have this like if you have a guy, you know, at any position, let's say corner is an example. Right. You, you've you got, you know, you've got Pleasant and Damon Austin, you know, who are basically in line to be your third team next year. But you bring in a corner and now that pushes them down to fourth team. Are they going to stay around for that? Is that worth it? Like, are you, are you kind of at some point you're sacrificing your your development of your young guys who need playing time for maybe a marginal upgrade. It's a good question. No, it is a great question. And it's, it's a difference. Like it's a difference of where this roster was last year, two years ago to where it is now, because, you know, of the way Dan Lanning's recruited, you know, obviously bringing in guys that, you know, uh, I, I mean, Mario Cristobal didn't leave this a completely talentless roster, you know, but it didn't mean all those guys fit what Dan Landing was trying to do on defense or offense. So now you have more of those guys that, you know, of course, have upside and potential and and intend to fit a little more of what you're wanting to do. So, yeah, like you said, where's the risk reward here? Do I bring in, you know, X player at corner and it pushes somebody, Dalen Austin, out the door? Well, that's not really going to help you at all. That, in fact, that just makes the 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 problem worse, you know, in the coming years. So, um, yeah, just kicking the can down the road. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely a delicate balance. And and I, you know, li like I said just a minute ago, and I know you agree, this will definitely one hundred percent be more about um, you know quality than quantity in this transfer cycle for sure. Yeah, I think the one position I think we'd agree on that I, I think was really hurt. Uh, by recruiting over the last four or five cycles at safety and you throw nickels in here as well. Right. And I think that's an area where you saw Oregon basically went out and got, you know, Tysheem Johnson and, and Evan Williams last year out of the portal to fill like what otherwise would have been just like a, a position. I mean, those guys played like a hundred percent of the snaps, which shows you where the rest of the roster was at those positions. And, and it's still, it still is the weakest position on the roster, right? And so I think there's been a lot of misses there over the years at safety and nickel. I think we saw, you know, how that position hurt Oregon in the two Washington games this year. Um, Tashim's a guy who could come back. I think he's a guy that you'd like to 
hopefully move to safety and 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 maybe get him out of nickel because I think he he was picked on a bit at that position and coverage. He's he was a decent coverage player in the right against the right kind of guys against tight ends against you know your kind of slower receivers, but against guys like Washington's putting in the slot like he he just doesn't have the speed to keep up with those guys. Now he's a great tackler. He's a great run support guy. He breaks up the screens. Really, he does a lot of things really well, but he's a weakness in certain scenarios. And he just didn't have another guy to play in that spot in those scenarios. And that, that hurt Oregon, but deep safety is another one, right? I mean, again, Evan Williams is gone. You've got Kamari Terrell, you got Cody to Tyler Turner, Colin Gill. Like, I, I don't know what, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that's an area where, you, you know, and obviously or you saw Oregon offered Makuba out of Clemson. I mean, that's a guy I would I would go get if I could. You, know, you saw the, the Kamari, um, can't remember his last name, out of UCLA, you know, safety. He he went in the portal. That's another guy that I like, right? I, or whoever it is, right? This is a position where I think Oregon probably needs to take two guys. Yeah. No, I agree. And this is, you know, this is one where, you know, you're needing the immediate, the immediate help. Um, and like you said, they, they basically went and, you know, took and put a bandaid uh, on this group last year. And ultimately, you know, Taishim is the only one that's going to hang around for multiple years, more than likely. So, you know, that bandaid kind of stopped the bullet hole, but it's still not fixed. And so, yeah, to your point, uh, Kamari Ramsey looks like a guy um, that was who you mentioned from UCLA. Uh, I, I think you need at least two starting caliber safeties brought in here. And, and, I, and I think that there is an opening for you to bring a, a starting caliber corner in uh, with this group as well. And, and one thing that we've, I I've kind of noticed and I don't have any numbers or statistics. I'm just kind of looking as from my eyeballs here, but you know, it seems as though Oregon's open to some of these guys that have multiple years of eligibility left at, you know, in the secondary. And so, you know, that tells me that, yeah, they, they still don't have that group, you know, where it needs to be quite yet. And, because it seems like in the last two years, it's mostly been one and done guys. And it seems like at least with this group, they're looking more for uh, maybe multiple year guys possibly. So I, I don't think they're prioritizing that over anything. It's just going to be based on, you know, fit need and who they can get for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, it feels like, um, you know, we'll know over time, but Aaron flowers, you know, in this class, Lopa as well, but particularly Flowers looks like a guy who might be able to play early. You know whether that be in a in a some sort of role as a as a true freshman or certainly you know ideally stepping into a starting role as a sophomore. But that's still, you know, that's still a year away, right? That's still like you know that's something you can't necessarily rely on because he hasn't even got to campus yet. But I think hopefully that's the the start of of kind of fixing the recruiting problem at the safety position as we go forward, but you're right. We're, you, you probably like, if you can get a guy who can be here two years, that's a, that, that's a much better uh, fill than one, but obviously you want to take the best player you can, whether it's, whether it's one or two years of availability. Yeah. But again, I think, and to your point, I know, I know you led with this talking about, you know, secondary safeties. Uh, I think, I think you've got to get a quarterback. You've got to get a Dylan Gabriel ready-made kind of guy. That's priority number one, but I'd say, Priority number two is is filling out that secondary, especially at safety, and possibly with with some corner help. That's where Oregon was weakest this year. See the corner one interest. It, I I push back a little bit on the corner one. I, I don't think Oregon was weak at corner. I think they were weak at safety, and I think they were weak at nickel. I 
I think they were hurt. We, you know, when Florence and Jackson were both playing, I thought they were their corners were quite good. I thought when Florence was out, you know, and obviously his durability is a question mark going forward. I don't think Manning was particularly bad. I, I thought he was uh, was decent. And then, like you've got, you know, like you said, you got Dalen Austin, you got Roderick Pleasant. You know that that it, early in the year before they got hurt, we saw some some good reps from those guys. You know, again, very limited. But and then you got it, Nico Reed, right? I you got, you know, and then you've got Sione. Sione coming in, who's potentially a starting caliber corner out of the Juco ranks too. So I just worry like there's, and then you've got Iffy and, and Fields coming in. So I, I, I like, I mean, sure. If there's like an all world corner that it was like a surefire starter. Yeah. Go get him. But I worry about what that does to, to those freshmen, you know, that you brought in last year and your top hundred level players. And now they're, you know, not going to see the field. Like I, 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 you know, some of the guys I thought Oregon linked with, like the Georgia guy who's been in Georgia for three years and played a hundred snaps, like what the hell, why would, why would you risk go getting that guy um, and, and risk, you know, losing out on one, of, unless you know, unless you like, you know what, one of these freshmen, they're not they're, we know they're not the guy, uh, then that's fine. But I, it just seems like, I don't, I don't get the corner thing. I think we have a lot of, we have, we have a lot of depth at corner, at least for my eyes. Yeah, I, I think it's good when they're healthy. You know, I think, you know, we saw with, with when Florence was out, like you said, when Jackson and Florence are out, obviously there's nothing you can do there. Um, you know, when Florence was still out um, against Washington, I think Dante Manning did a good job, but it wasn't the same. So, yeah, just, I mean, if you if you remove Kyrie Jackson, because obviously he's going to go to the NFL, um, you know, I, I could justify getting a day one guy and trying to elevate that room, but on on the same hand, you got to be real careful. I think it's got to be a one and done guy, and it needs to be somebody that comes in and everybody looks up to and says, "Oh yeah, that that's an NFL dude right there." I don't mind playing behind him for a year. So it's delicate for sure. That's probably the most delicate one. But you know, safety. Um, I don't think there's any question yeah, there. No question on safety. No question on safety. Let's move over to the prep side. So obviously today, you know, a bit of a I don't say a bit of a shocker and a big shocker. Uh, Jordan Seaton committed to Colorado on Undisputed this morning, which I think no one was expecting. All the scuttle was around Ohio State, Tennessee, Oregon, kind of, in, you know, in that order. And then he comes on and commits to Colorado. I think Max over at SI reported that he may still visit Oregon here in the next couple of weeks. Like, what are you hearing on Seaton and what did you make of that commitment? Um, you know, in the, you know, 15-ish, whatever years I've been in following recruiting and, and football, I mean, it, it's, I'd like to say that there's something that surprises me, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really. Um, I, I would say this currently, I don't believe that that's the last uh, uh, that we'll hear of Jordan Seaton. I don't think that, uh, does he visit Oregon? Um, I don't know. I mean, he, he totally could. I, think, I, I do hear it's possible. I don't hear anything as locked in or imminent. But on that same note, he doesn't have to visit again in order for Oregon to remain in that one. I don't, I, I, you know, the immediate return I can offer is just that Tennessee, Ohio State, and Oregon, nobody uh, has conceded Jordan Seaton despite what he did this morning. So I think that um, he's an interesting guy, man. And just the way the way he kind of committed, some of the stuff he said, you know, just for him, I, like I, I love the fact that he surprised everybody. That doesn't bother me one bit. I actually love it. Um, I just think that, you know, there's been so much kind of what's the word I'm looking for. There's been so much deflection in his recruitment to kind of keep everybody guessing that I, 
feel like this was just a, another really grand <laughs> uh, piece to the puzzle of, of some deflection. So I'll be honest right now, as we're recording this, I'd, I'd, I kind of feel like I'd be shocked if he signed with Colorado. Um, so maybe just the words to be continued are probably best in this instance right now. Yeah, you said something there. I think you might have tweeted out something similar as well. You know, how many times over the years you see these guys be like, I'm going to shock the world, you know, and then they commit to Alabama or or, or Georgia or some team that's, you know, been they have all the, you know, that everyone has put in the crystal ball for. It's kind of funny, you know, to see that. It was like, why, why are you saying that? Like, you're not shocking anybody. But hey, this guy actually did. This guy actually did today. So, uh, like you said, we'll see if it sticks. Um it's an interesting one. Do you, do you think if he does, uh, do you think Oregon's still in the market for a tackle or are they just kind of like, yeah, we were going to take Seton, but we still have, we still have two or three others in the boat and we'll just roll with those for, for this class. I, I think, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about. I, I do believe that um, if in a perfect world, Dan Lanning sitting here being candid, you know, I don't think he really wants to take an offensive tackle through the transfer portal and he won't just take any offensive tackle in recruiting. But I think that, you know, I think his top choice would be to get somebody like Seton, a highly ranked top ranked guy that you could bring in and put in the two deep rotation, probably pretty early on, but doesn't necessarily need to be counted on as a starter. I think that's what he's looking for. And I, because uh, the reality is this, you're probably only going to get, and this is if he returns, but you're on, probably only going to get one more year out of uh, Johnny Cornelius. And it's very possible that you might only get one more out of Josh Connerly as well. So, you know, not necessarily this year, but two years out, you're looking for guys to replace those two guys potentially. And, and I do think that a guy like Jordan Seaton comes in and, and has a chance to play at Oregon this season, but really has a chance to cement, you know, his spot in two years when he's needed. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, anything else recruiting wise you want to cover up on the high school ranks? Not really. I mean, you know, it, it's, it feels like it's relatively well known. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Jericho Johnson, the defensive lineman is, is, is close to making a decision about 10, 12 days out uh, from making his decision. I've had my pick on Oregon have felt like my pig on Oregon has been great and love it. So, you know, that's kind of the only other one right now. There's just, as far as the, the, the recruiting ranks go, there's just not a lot of, of meat left on the bone, if we will. They've done such a good job. You know, Sally Apaga committed. You know, obviously they'd love to get Gatlin Bear, which certainly looks like Oregon or Michigan. I kind of feel like I think Michigan's probably uh, got the upper hand currently. Um, you know, so yeah, just not a lot of meat on the boat. Now, maybe they pull out a surprise somewhere, but again, just overall, there's not a lot of numbers. Like, I mean, he's just, you know, Dan Lanning's done such a good job of, of adding transfers and adding recruits in the last year that, you know, there's just not a, a ton more room. So, you know, I feel like it's kind of a bummer to be anticlimactic, but I mean, the, the way they recruited in the spring is everything you want it to be. Cause then you're not out on the road, spending a ton of time trying to get guys at the last minute here, these last few weeks, they're probably honestly out there doing a lot more work on 2025 than they are in 2024, which is exactly where you want to be if you're competing for top five classes. So it's just the new timeline that we all have to get used to and, and, I mean, honestly, Oregon and, and I mean, Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco, 
I mean, they've they've got this thing. This thing is a well-oiled machine, man. It's pretty incredible, yeah. you know what they yeah. what they've done and where Oregon's at. So, um, I guess enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, in my in my scholarship chart that I keep, I've got and I'm projecting now. So I've projected out some additional transfers that I think will leave the program, and I'm not going to name them because I, I just I think that's disrespectful. But um, but projecting out what I think those guys are, projecting out the the players I see going to the to the NFL that, you know, like a Troy Franklin, I will name him, right? Um, taking those all out and then adding in the the incoming freshmen, there's 24 in the current class. So that puts me at 82 scholarship players. So, set, you know, in theory, you've got three available spots. But like you said, you've got a Jericho Johnson, you've got a Gatlin Bear, you've got a Jordan Seaton. Well, that gets you, you know, I'm not saying you get all those, right? But those are, and then you've got any income, incoming transfers you need, right? So, you, you know, you, you figure Oregon's going to add somewhere between five to 10 incoming transfers as well. So, you know, you add you add in, let's say eight, and you add in a couple more or one or two more freshmen, right? Now you're at, now you're at 90, 92 guys. So you're still, you still need an additional six or seven transfers out and that's an above and beyond the additional four or five that I've already kind of checked off my list uh, by assumption. So there's, like you said, there's for every one you want to add at this point, like a lot of the, a lot of the fat has been trimmed, if you will. Right. You, yeah. you start looking now and you're like, Oh, I want to add another guy out of the portal or out of the freshman ranks. And you're like, okay, so which one of your 2023 uh, recruits do you want to cut? You know, do you want to cut, I don't want to say cut, right? I'm just saying, like, you know, who you take. Somebody's got to go, right? And they're yeah. at this point, there's not there's not a bunch of these like Mario holdovers that that aren't playing or or for there's no. I mean, it's a young it's a young roster for the most part outside of guys who are starters, right? It's it's a lot yeah. of 2023s and 2024s, and um, you know, who do you who do you want to push out the door to bring in that guy you're talking about bringing in? And there just right. isn't a lot of fat to cut anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'll just say his name just as an example, because it makes sense to what you're saying. But you start looking at a guy like Kyler Casper, right? Really highly sought after receiver hasn't played a lot yet, but certainly not anybody you want to get rid of. You know what I mean? Like it, there's I mean, just like you think, OK, this kid's still figuring it out, learning. And, and so that's where we're at. Those are the kind of guys that we're talking about that are. Well, shoot, I don't want to get rid of him. You know, I mean, and so I didn't I don't bring up Kyler Casper for any reason. I'm not hinting. I'm not speculating. It was just, it seemed like a really good example to make because like you said, you're, you're starting to look at guys that like, well, he's only been here for a year. I, I, I like, I like his potential. Yeah, I just, I mean, do you, do you, yeah, do you, I mean, okay. Like just again, not names I would want to push out the door, but I'm saying like, okay, you want to bring in a corner. Okay. You know, yet here's what you, here's who you're going to lose. You know, what you're, you gotta, you gotta lose a Solomon David or a Dalen Austin or a Cole Martin or a Roger Pleasant. How do we yeah. even know what we have with those guys? I mean, they're all true freshmen. Right? I mean, the coaches yeah. know more than we do. Right. But, or, you know, or you go over to, to, you know, to, to edge and it's like, I've just got Jaden Moore, you know, Tuioti purchase and Emma Taylor. You're going to push one of those guys out. Like it makes no <laughs> sense. Right. You right. push out Mikel Gardner, Ashton Porter, Terrence Green, Johnny Bones, like all these freshmen, like it, you know, you just at this point, they're you're either pushing out a true a guy who was a freshman this this last year, or you're pushing out a, a guy who's a starter. <laughs> it's like yeah. there's nothing in between, really. Yeah, no, and 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 that's you know I think that's an important thing to note. I think as we kind of head into 2025 recruiting, 
you know, I, I think we're kind of in the, we're, we, you know, you've gone from seeing Dan Lanning bring in 40 to 50 guys to, you know, this year it's going to be closer to 30 by the time you count transfers and signees, maybe low 30, 31, whatever. And I, I think, you know, even next year, you're going to be really hard pressed to see him be, a, have the opportunity to bring 30 guys in, uh, you know, next year. And, and again, I say that I'm totaling that between transfers and recruits. So, uh, and that's a great thing. That's, that's, that's what you want. You want to get it to where you're just kind of maybe turning over, 20 to 27 guys uh, in a cycle so that you're not having to do maybe quite as much work, if you will. You got it. Anything else, Hop, or we uh, want to sign off? No, I mean, I, you know, I'll jump on with you guys as we kind of preview the Liberty Liberty game. I keep wanting to call it the Liberty Bowl because Liberty <laughs> play is not the Liberty Bowl. But, yeah, it's obviously the Fiesta Bowl with Liberty. And and I know, you know, I haven't been on the pod since the, the end of the Pac-12 championship, which was uh, just a disappointing, tough loss. I get that. And, and it was. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you, you know, just the way Oregon – um, you know, found a way to lose. And then of course you lose to Washington and, and gosh darn, if, you know, they're not in the playoff where you thought you would be, it's, it's just all unfortunate. But um, I mean, you, you gotta, we, I mean, we gotta take a step back and look at the big picture and, you know, Oregon was right where you wanted to be at the, at the, at that point in time where they needed to be. And of course, next year, it'll be easier to get into the playoff, if you will, with the, with the expanded playoffs and um, just, Pretty exciting time to be a duck and a duck fan, and and best of all, your head coach really looks like he's going to stay at Oregon for or for at least a little while. So, um, unfortunate to me that I don't get to sell subs on a coaching change, but I think I'll gladly take the I'll I'll take the continuity yeah, in the room. I don't care about your subs. I want some coaching continuity, <laughs> and it looks like it looks like Hop. I mean, knock on wood here, but it looks very likely now that Oregon will bring back the same head coach, defensive coordinator, and offensive coordinator for the first time since 2015. Like, Stop that it. has not happened in eight years. It's oh, crazy. man. It's, it is crazy. Yeah, I, I don't – Eight years with at least one of those three, and, and sometimes all three of them changing. It's been, it's been a carousel, and I think what this team, this program that really needs is, is – and obviously there will probably be one or two you know turnovers at the position ranks, but this, this program – desperately needs some coaching continuity and it seems like we have it yeah no you're right the continuity is exactly what's needed this time not you know the next dc or the next whatever and the best part is i i kind of you know and, and, and this will be where i'll end but i kind of look at the at the coaching roster right now you know and i just i don't get the sense that a lot of these guys are looking to leave I think they're all pretty happy in Eugene and well compensated. And I'm not just talking about the, the coordinators and the head coach. I'm, I'm talking about all the, the assistants, the position coaches and, you know, that kind of continuity. maybe a coach leaves. Okay. But still, if you're maybe only needing to replace one or two position guys, and, and that's almost looks like at an at worst basis. Um, I, I think that that's, uh, it's refreshing. And I think with what Dan Lanning's doing is he's trying to build, I think the, the trend has been all these coaches changing and chasing money and chasing jobs. And I think you see the guys like Kirby Smart and, and obviously Nick Saban. And, and, you know, I think, I believe Dan Lanning following that looking like, Hey, I want to be somewhere and plant my roots. And I think the continuity is something that can, you know, give you that, you know, continued success like both Georgia and Alabama have experienced with those coaches. So. Absolutely. All right, Hop. Thanks again. It's been great to chat with you. 
follow him at, at Justin Hopkins, you know, on Twitter. You can also obviously go check out scoopdeck.com. Definitely worth your your subscription over there to get all the inside information and intel and recruiting and, and the program and everything else. So, Justin, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dougie. Go, oh, he bopped out.